You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We are Canada's number one tech radio program. We've got uh, an awesome show for you today. We are uh, going to be talking more uh, about the Amazon Web Services Conference that uh, we were in last week. We've got a few cool interviews uh, there, uh, including technology that uh, helps buildings become smarter. Sounds weird, right? Yeah, I mean... It just lets you unify all your smart devices in and smart systems, I should say, in a building, which makes a lot of sense. So what what does that mean? It means like uh, your HVAC, air conditioning. It means your security systems, fire suppression systems. Like they're all kind of digitally controlled now. But right now in most buildings, they're all separate. They all have separate uh, uh, interfaces, computers that they go to. What they're doing now is having that all come into one, which will save time and money. And, and just be much more efficient and easier to use by the end user. We're going to be talking with Giant Bikes. They're one of the biggest uh, bike manufacturers in the world. Uh, they're uh, Taiwanese, uh, but they're everywhere. We're going to be talking about e-bikes and some of the latest uh, innovations uh, there. And, John, I'm excited about this segment. It's called Chat. GPT. This is uh, an AI tool. We've been talking a lot about AI recently, but listeners, you, you got to keep up with it because it is advancing exponentially right now. We've talked a lot about these tools that can convert text into images, like uh, a cat playing a piano with a funny hat on, and it'll make that picture for you. Well, there's text tools. And the one that we'll be chatting about is ChatGPT. It is amazing. I tried it out over the past few days, John. It's blowing my mind at how well it writes. The thing about this particular one, though, is that this one was is from OpenAI, and it literally overnight, they flipped a switch and enabled a whole new set of um, uh, data models and dramatically improved what it can do. And I don't want to spoil anything, but it can do some pretty amazing things. Yes, blogs, uh, copy for social posts, taglines. It can write code. It can write a business plan. Well, we'll, uh, we'll be talking all about it, and you really need to stay tuned uh, for that. Let's talk about some of the tech news, John. This is kind of interesting. I think most of us know what airplane mode is on a phone. Yes. And it's named that because it's the little switch you turn on when you're on an airplane. Presumably to avoid interference with the navigation system on the plane that you're flying on so you don't die. It'll turn off Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, cellular service. But now, coming up, the European Union is going to make that obsolete. Yeah, they actually just passed uh, a motion that starting in June of 2023, they're going to allow airlines to offer 5G service on their planes. Cellular service. Cellular service. Yeah. Just like you have on the ground. So you'll be able to watch Netflix over your phone. You'll be able to have FaceTime calls with your friends and family. You'll be able to use any app and basically you'll be able to just leave your phone on the whole time. They're using 5G technology. They're using something called a Pico cell. And this is basically a little repeater that will then take and intercept your cell phone uh, connection and rebroadcast it to a satellite, which will then send it down to a ground station. So, a little unclear if you're going to have to pay for this functionality or not. We're paying, John. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, will that even be, a, you know, in, in five years' time? Because once the EU does something, yeah. everyone kind of follows along yeah. when it comes to these, you know, technology standards. You know, in five years, will there even be an airplane mode anymore? 
probably not. Yeah. I mean, th- 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 basically they're saying just use your phone like you would normally do it. Yeah. Like on the ground. You don't so. have to turn off anything. What I can see being problematic is everyone's going to be using this, making calls and being loud on the yeah, planes. Yeah, you know, that was, the, that was the one thing I loved about airplanes because yeah. I just tune out. Like yeah. the world is, sh- is switched off for that time. Yeah. I can read uh, a, a book, newspaper, magazine, play some games on my, my tablet, watch some movies, and no one can hurt me. <laughs> anyway, thanks, EU. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Polestar, Polestar 2, this is a, an electric vehicle. Gets a 68 horsepower power boost through a paid update. And we're seeing more and more of this now in cars. I really don't like this trend. No. I mean, on my Tesla, I can, I can buy heated uh, seats in the back yeah. just by putting my credit card in for $400. I can get a performance boost. I think I can, you know, zero to 60, half a second faster for $2,000. So you're basically paying for a software unlock for yes. features and hardware that's already there. Yeah. So Polestar is doing that now as well to yeah. get that extra boost of power. Yeah. It's not, so the good thing is it's not a subscription. No, but why don't just sell me the car with that feature unlocked and include that in the price so I don't have to use my credit card? It's a one-time $1,200 fee. U.S. U.S. to get that extra boost. Do you care? Well, I do if I, if I, if I had that vehicle and found out there was this hidden feature that I didn't know about. Well, it's funny. I think of my Tesla, right? And... The rear seats, they have heating. I know. For $400. But what I'm not quite clear on, because in Teslas, they also have the full self-driving capability, but it's like, what is it, $15,000 now to yeah. unlock that? Yeah. If I sell the car it, and I've bought that, it doesn't pass on to the new owner. Yeah, so if I buy the car from you, I have to pay those fees as well. Yes. Which is good for Tesla. Yeah. Or Polestar, but not good for the new I don't buyer. like it. I don't like it. No. No, it's, I, I, I don't know. I just find it a little shady. Do you think that's, we're going to see, well, I think we're going to see more of it, John, if they can get away with it. Absolutely. I'm surprised it's not a subscription for your heated seats. That's crazy. Uh, this was kind of interesting. Chinese students have invented a coat that makes people invisible to AI security cameras. <laughs> yeah. It, it, apparently it's like a, a camouflage pattern coat, but it's just the right amount of crazy patterns that it confuses an AI camera. So that person essentially is invisible. So it doesn't detect it as a person? Correct. Because that's what a lot of these security cameras have now. They have software built in, artificial intelligence that can determine if a human you know, goes across your driveway or it's just a car or a cat. Right. If it's yeah. a cat, it just maybe... Does it turn me it. into a cat? <laughs> I don't know what it turns you into. Well, I guess the thing is, it's not a human. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're going to see more of that technology. Yeah. These countermeasures for any kind of um, security software will definitely be very common. Looking at another story here uh, that we're following, Uber has robo-taxis coming to Las Vegas. Well, we saw them when we were there last week. Yes. But we couldn't actually request them. They were still testing them. Yeah. So as soon as we leave, they turn it on in the Uber app, so you can actually request one of these. They call them a driverless 
taxi, but there's actually a driver because of safety and security reasons. <laughs> Thank God. I just don't think they're there yet. Do you? No. 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 And Las Vegas traffic is not normal. It's, it's not. It's not kind. Let's say. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 aggressive. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know, John. I you know, the, I want to I want a car that can drive itself, but we're God. I think we're 10, 20 years away still. If that. Do you know what I mean? Like, if we're ever going to get it. So the technology has to get there. Then the laws have to kick in, right? Yeah. And, and, and things like insurance. The thing is, even the best computer out there nowadays still crashes. Yeah. Because I've got like, I've got the basic um, auto steer on my Tesla. And John, it is not perfect. <laughs> it's like, because it can't, fully drive itself it can you know keep in its lane and keep distance with cars but sometimes it gets confused pretty easily because it's relying on the stuff on the road yeah which isn't always accurate the stuff the paint okay we're gonna have to take a break still so much more coming up here on get connected we're gonna be uh, talking about smart buildings e-bikes and a program that can write letters blogs social posts for you and it's amazing. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. We've got a really cool guest with us uh, to talk about building technology. I know it doesn't sound sexy, but there's a lot of technology that's going on in buildings, especially when it comes to all the data when you think of things like lighting, the HVAC system, the list goes on, security. Uh, there's a company here that uh, we're going to chat with. Uh, they're called Brainbox AI. We've got uh, Jean-Simon Venn with us. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for the invitation. Uh, so when I think of uh, web services and cloud and, and digital technology, don't always think about buildings. Like, what are you guys doing to, uh, uh, to get all that information together? Because I, I can imagine there's a lot going on in buildings and building construction. I get that there's security, there's HVAC systems, there's lighting stuff that I'm not even remembering right now. Uh, but those seem to be all separate things, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the typical commercial building will have several of these vertical uh, systems. So you have your control system controlling the elevator, control system uh, managing the heating, cooling, and ventilation, control system managing all the security sensor, uh, and, it, and it goes on, right? Fire protection is another control system. Um, and uh, these systems were built by different company, and they are managed by different company with different controller. Um, and the data is kind of captive in these uh, vertical systems that don't talk to each other. Um, and so, so the, is that okay? Well, it's it's if you wanna if you wanna operate the building in its in its totality and have a holistic view of what's going on in your building, you need to share the data which is stuck in these all of these vertical together, and then you could start to optimize the building operation which is not the case today. So you, the first step is really to, how do you connect to these existing controller and extract the data so you could put it all together and start to use it and creating value with it? Okay, so you're using words like optimize. Like, what does that yeah. mean? If I can get my security information, I can get my lighting, uh, you know, my climate information, like, what, what kind of, can I save money that way? How does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So I call it like the asset optimization. So you have a piece of asset, which is your building, which costs you a lot of money to build, and it's costing you a lot of money to operate on a daily basis. The question is, the user, what do they need at any given time, and what do I need to do to satisfy the user, instead of just producing X quantity in case the user might need it? And I'll give you a more very precise example. Um, if a floor will be empty all day, 
why are we maintaining the desired temperature at 21, 22 degrees all day when, while there's going to be nobody on it? Or if people will be just on one section of the floor, why are we maintaining the temperature on the entire floor while it's not being used? So you need to produce what you need to produce and, and follow exactly what the demand is going to be at any given time in that building to satisfy the users. I, I imagine having all these systems more cohesively talking to each other will just make operation of the building more pleasant for the people that are in that building as well because you don't have to go to four different systems to change you know the temperature and the lighting and all these things you go one place and it can control all those aspects exactly so we all been to these uh, moment where it's a bit too cold a bit too hot in a building because the sun is now uh, directly on the window and in that conference room now it's now becoming too hot right but that was highly predictable, right? Because you know the, if there's cloud cover, you know where the sun is, you know if the people are going to use that conference room or not. And, and knowing what will be happening, which is the beauty of uh, deep learning and AI, um, knowing what's going to be happening, you then start to control your building in a preemptive fashion. So you know it's going to be too hot in an hour. So what are you going to do about it right now so this does not happen? And, 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 I, and I like to give this example of the, the movie Back to the Future, where Imagine if we have the ability to go in the future, we see what, everything that's wrong in the future, you come back in the present time, you change a couple of things, and you basically build another future which is more fit to what you're trying to do. So we're doing exactly the same thing, but for the building operation. So you gave the example of the boardroom, that the sun's going to hit it really hard at, uh, let's say, 2 o'clock. Is it the, then the computer that's going to put the air conditioning on in there? Exactly. So, so you don't have to worry about Ed. The no. building maintenance guy to <laughs> make sure that that room because no. it's it's really like predictive control so we know it's going to be too hot so we know what we should do right now so create start the cooling in advance so we could absorb that shock of the sun that's going to start to shine in that window at, at that precise time and we know how much heat it's going to transfer in the room and then we know how much cooling we should do preemptively to basically null it out uh, and it's and it's all, it has to be automatic because Ed uh, does not know what's going to be happening. <laughs> Poor Ed. Um, well, this is interesting. Like, I've just gone through uh, building out our own space for our studios. And, you know, we had to adhere to all sorts of uh, new standards. Like, the lighting had to turn off automatically when people are in the room. Or, you know, at 7 o'clock at night, it's just, you know, off. Are we seeing cities kind of mandate those kind of standards for smart technology, like how you're trying to integrate it? Yeah, not, not yet, not yet. But I think, I think people are discovering right now what the technology could do, and they're starting to see how powerful it could be. Um, so everybody's talking about the autonomous car, right? Uh, so the, the autonomous car is doing exactly the same thing, right? It's predicting what will be happening and what should I do considering what will be happening. So is that squirrel going to cross the street or not? And what should I do when I'm convinced that it will cross the street yeah. and exactly where it's going to cross it? So these type of technology, which is really like optimizing your, your asset, uh, are starting now to be understood by a lot of people. And people are saying, okay, we should now make it uh, a rule or, or, or a regulation that it should be used, uh, at, at not only at the building level, but at the city level. I imagine also by integrating all these systems, you have a much richer set of analytics to know what's going on in your whole system in one place as opposed to, like we said before, multiple disparate systems that don't talk to each other, maybe are in different formats or uh, different things like that. Yeah, that's, that's always a challenge, is uh, you're, you're ingesting data, which is very different format, uh, probably not 
uh, synchronize that all together, and you need to make it all compatible so deep learning or algorithm could use the data as an input and do their calculation. So you have to be very careful because garbage in, garbage out. And, yeah. and, and it's, since it's all fully automatic, um, and there's no human really checking anything, uh, that could have a very bad outcome. Um, so we're mixing a lot of data coming from the building, but we're also mixing it with things like the weather, right? Uh, detailed weather, which is uh, giving us the, the thickness of the cloud, the wind direction, the wind gusts. Uh, and, and all these factors are coming all together, and they're giving the enriched data that we need to, to, to call the prediction. So you're, you're taking all this data from the different systems inside a building. So does the building have to have like a giant server down in the basement somewhere that's kind no. of aggregating all this? Yeah, no, no, no. That's, that's, that's the beauty of it is as soon as you do that, you're not going to be scaling, right? Because imagine uh, we, we did a quick calculation. If we have an impact, building consume about 40% of the energy on our planet. And if we have a, an impact on really slowing down the climate change trend, we need to basically deploy about 1,000 buildings per day. So as soon as you need to deploy a piece of hardware in a given building, it's going to be very hard to reach that 1,000 buildings per yeah, day. Yeah, that's so a lot. It, it needs to be like kind of apps that you download, right? So, so we're working in that fashion as the existing controller there would just download an app into them and then you're connected. Um, that's the only way you really, you're going to scale to the level that you need to have an impact on the climate change trend. So that's, is that where Am, like the Amazon Web Services come in? Exactly. So, so we want to basically connect these existing devices. So you don't want to deploy a new device. Um, you want to connect these existing devices, whatever legacy generation they could be. So they are basically talking to the cloud. So you, you're connecting them to the cloud. So they don't necessarily have to upgrade all their equipment. Exactly. It's, they're just sending the information yeah. to the cloud and then you're secret sauce, AI well, takes all that information. and Once you have the data, that was the, the, the difficult part, right? To yeah. get the data. Once you have the data, uh, doing the deep learning and the optimization with these uh, virtual robots that we call the algorithm, um, that's much easier than at that point. We've been uh, talking with Jean-Simon Venn. He is with a company called Brainbox AI, making buildings smarter for the future. Where can people find out more information? All brainboxai.com, our website. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. When we come back, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. We're going to talk e-bike tech now with uh, one of the biggest bicycle manufacturers in the world. Giant. I didn't know they were the biggest. I did not know this either. We've uh, got uh, Steve uh, Devanche. He is from uh, Giant Canada. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, From what I understand, Giant uh, Bicycles... uh, Taiwanese company. Uh, you guys, I didn't, uh, again, realize, uh, are one of the, the biggest uh, out there. Um, and now, I guess I wanted to talk about e-bikes, because uh, that seems to be the big thing now. When did you guys get into that whole side? Uh, well, e-bikes, we've actually been involved in e-bikes for a lot of years now. Um, way back, oh geez, early, early 2000s was when we first brought out our first Freedom DX. It wasn't the greatest e-bike. They've uh, improved a lot since then. But sort of with the, the newer technology, the, um, the bottom bracket drive motors that we're using nowadays, those, those have been on the market for about four, four years now in Canada. So that's, I would say we're really, really involved in e-bikes for the last four or five years now. And yeah. so when you look at uh, bicycle sales overall, uh, just to get a sense for the listeners, like, you know, what percentage do you, you feel would be like e-bikes compared to the old-fashioned bikes? Uh, 
Yeah, actually, that's that's a good question. Um, we're at about 15% in Canada right now. Um, so 15% of the e-bikes that we're, we're putting out in the market, or 15% of the bikes are e-bikes. Um, but, you know, if you look over at Europe, where we're probably about five years behind where they are, uh, Europe's about 50-50 right now. So um, we're expecting a lot of growth in that category for sure. Like e-bikes are just just growing, the demand's still super high. And, and it's across all categories too. Um, it's not just um, like a commuter e-bike or something like that. We've got demand from mountain bikers that want to, you know, access trails easier. And, and, and again, cargo bikes is another growing market. People that want to replace their cars with a bicycle, the eco-conscious people, and, and then just people that want to, want to, you know, get to work and get out of traffic. So. So again, yeah. you know, when we're talking about e-bikes or electric bikes, uh, these are kind of uh, electric-assisted bikes. You can still pedal, but uh, they've typically got a little electric motor and, of course, battery in there to to make it go a, a little uh, little faster, a little uh, easier. Uh, what's what's kind of the battery life on these things now? Yeah, um, yeah. So we're our batteries. Uh, the technology is actually getting a lot better. Like. Two years ago, we were looking at 500 watt hour batteries, and now our latest bike is coming out with an 800 watt hour battery in the same space. So it's the same same size in the ba- in in the bicycle, but it's it's 300 watt hours more. So almost almost double what we were getting beforehand. Um, so yeah, we're we're at that 800 watt hour range, which on a mountain bike is going to allow you to go out for for a solid three four hour mountain bike ride, depending on how you use it. Um, it really range is a really tough question to answer because it, it really depends on, on the terrain you're going on, the kind of tires you have on the bike. Are you riding into a headwind? Is it flat? Are you going up a hill? Is there a lot of cargo on your bike? All those same things that affect say your fuel efficiency in your car, um, they're amplified on a bicycle because your range is, is, is probably a little bit smaller than what your car is. And, and, um, yeah, so that that affects the range, but you know, seventy-five kilometers, depending on what you're doing. Steve, is there any kind of regulations around e-bikes? Like, do you need to have a, a special license or special insurance, even for some of these things? I know some of them can get going pretty fast. Yeah, those those ones that go pretty fast aren't what I would call legal. <laughs> uh, there are definitely regulations within within uh, within Canada around e-bikes. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of enforcement. So those ones that you're seeing that are going that fast, um, they don't really fall into that legal category. Um, all e-bikes, um, pedal assist bikes are supposed to be uh, limited to 32 kilometers an hour. Um, that's, that's a transport regulation rule as far as I understand. And anything that goes over, anything with a motor that's capable of going over that speed needs to have things like turn signals and brake lights and so on. So an e-bike needs to be regulated to 32 kilometers an hour. Um, after that, if you pedal, what happens is the motor actually cuts out. Basically, the motor just stops assisting you. So if you want to pedal your bicycle at 35, you can do that under your own power. But then, you know, as soon as you start to drop down to, say, 31, the motor starts helping you again, right? So it cuts out at 32 kilometers an hour and prevents you from pedaling under your uh, assisted um, over 32. So you can go faster for sure. Like I've pedaled my e-bike around at 40. It's just a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, what kind of weight are we adding to bikes then? Because I, I remember back a few years ago, I was in San Francisco and I, I did one of those rideshare bikes, e-bikes. Uh, I think the company was Jump back at the, the time. And I accidentally went out of the zone and I guess they, they turn the motor off if you go out of the zone. And I was like, I, yeah. I, and unfortunately I was down one of these giant hills and lugging that thing back up one of those San Francisco hills, might as well have been dragging like a Volkswagen. Yes, they, they are not light. Um, technology is getting better, but a, a typical motor will add about three kilograms to the bike. And then you're looking at your battery that's going to add another uh, five kilograms or so. Um, yeah, so essentially a bike depends again on the style of e-bike. We make them about as light as 40 pounds. Uh, and then they're going to go up to kind of more the 55 pound range for some of your dual suspension, heavier built, uh, mountain bikes. So they're, they are, they aren't light, um, compared to a regular bicycle, but that motor definitely does help, you know, handle that weight. Um, and they are, you, you can ride them. Um, if the battery say dies on you out on the, on the trail or out on the road somewhere, you know, they are, you are capable of pushing that weight with the, uh, the gearing that's on the bike. It's just not the same experience. That's for sure. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, yeah, if, if you were trying to ride that up a, a hill in San Francisco, oh it wouldn't God. be much fun at all. No, so. that was like the worst afternoon of my life. I couldn't even, you know, pedal it up that hill. I forget. Uh, it was near that curvy yeah. hill. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, they get pretty steep. Huh? Sweet Jesus. Like, Oh, that was, yeah. Anyway, I didn't rent any more e-bikes yeah. after that. So uh, what kind of price range are we looking for e-bikes now? I mean, I'm sure there's quite quite a range depending what you're looking for. Yeah, there is definitely a range, um, you know, from, from what I would call a reputable manufacturer, um, which I'll put giant in that sort of category. We're, we're starting at around a $2,800 e-bike for our LeFree and then kind of going up from there. Um, you know, our most expensive one is, is sixteen thousand dollars so that's that's uh, a very expensive e-bike um but it is, is also you know it's a carbon fiber bike with the highest end components so we could you know slap onto it so it, it it's um it's an e-bike the technology of an e-bike is going to run you around two thousand dollars so you know a a twenty eight hundred dollar bike is an eight hundred dollar bicycle with two thousand dollars of e-bike components on it you know, a $16,000 bike is really a $14,000 bike with another $2,000 of e-bike components on it. Steve, I can so buy a car. I can buy a it, car for $16,000. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But it wouldn't be as much fun as, as <laughs> this mountain bike. It, it's a, you know, it's a pretty nice bike. We're talking. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's starting at, you're starting at around that, that, you know, $3,000 range. Uh, you can find them for cheaper from other brands. Um, but, you know, it is that adage, you get what you pay for kind of thing. And, and I, you know, I've always said, I caution people against some of those other brands because I do worry about some of, you know, the e-bike or the, the battery technology that's going into them, where they're sourcing their batteries from is, is my biggest concern with, uh, with some of the lower price options out there. Um, and I know that people probably might not think about riding around on a bomb, but uh, I've said that before <laughs> that, that some of those bikes are like riding around on a bomb. Oh my God. So, well, you know, it's, it, uh, it, it's an important point though, Steve, um, kind of going with a, a name that you, you know, in trust, it's kind of same mm-hmm. in the kind of the gadget, uh, you know, arena that we play in. Um, there's so many of these like smart home gadgets now, but 
I always recommend people going with like someone you've heard of before, like a Google or an Amazon, because you know they're going to be around for many years to come. Um, you know, we got into big, uh, big into like uh, electric skateboards for a while there. I tried out a, a bunch, but mm-hmm. most of them have gone out of business. So like, what do you do when the thing breaks down? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. After service support's a big thing too, for sure. Um, you know, giant, we've got, we've got diagnostic software that you can hook your bike up to. Uh, we're working on training our retailers to properly service and, and now we're actually going into things like refurbishing the motors so that we can make sure that these things aren't just going to end up in a landfill later on down the road. Right. So, you know, that sustainability part of it and and making sure that our batteries are, are sourced from eco-friendly plants and, and that, um, you know, we're working with uh, call to recycle to make sure that end of life for our batteries, our batteries are being recycled properly and, and eco-conscious. So, you know, it's all that kind of stuff that we're doing um, that does add to the price of the bike, but at least you're, you're getting a, a good quality product that you can feel good about buying. Been talking with Steve Devonche. He's uh, with Giant Bicycles, one of the biggest bike manufacturers in the world, uh, out of Taiwan. Uh, but uh, he's here in Canada. I want to thank you for joining us, Steve. Thank you very much. When we come talking to you, when we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected, Mike and John here. The future is creeping up faster than I thought, John. No, we haven't got the flying cars yet, but AI, artificial intelligence, is happening so much faster than I could have imagined. It's just kind of really come to my attention over the past year. You know, we've talked a lot on this program about uh, AI engines like midjourney.ai and and DALI, I think, is another one. There's, you know, a bunch out there. These tools that let you type in a few words like a fish swimming in a mountain stream, whatever you can think of, it'll then make that picture for you in whatever style you want, if you want it photorealistic. It's, it's quite amazing. And it's changing, I think, the graphics industry dramatically. Absolutely. They just don't fully get that yet. Well, Adobe Stock, which is where we go to get a lot of our photos for various t- projects and things like that, they're now selling AI-generated art. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I saw one today, our, our creative director uh, made one, uh, dinosaur dinosaur bartender with a bow tie and john it was incredible it was incredible so what we want to talk about today is not images but text the written word yeah so the same people that made dolly which is one of the leading uh, services to do the text to image open ai is the company and they're sort of a conglomerate of a bunch of different investors, including Elon Musk. And they basically have unveiled this new chat bot called chat GPT and GPT stands for generative pre-trained transformer. And essentially what this allows you to do, you allows you to do is have a, like a normal human English language conversation with a computer system. And you can ask it to do anything you want. Interestingly, I did say English. You can actually do this in any language. It'll translate to any language from any language as well. But you can just say something simple, like write me a blog post about what chat GPT is. And you can even specify the length. So I did a 500 word blog post about it. And you can even tell it the style to write it in. You want to have it sound like a wise guy from, from the 50s or 40s? It'll write it in that style. 
you want to have it write it in the style of like um, a pirate talking. Yeah, you can do that, and it'll it'll write your stuff, but in that style. I I tried it on a bunch of things, John. It's pretty damn good. It, like the grammar, the spelling. It it doesn't sound like a computer has written it, and I. The one thing I did catch it on, I asked it to write a, a blog about me. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. And it was a little off, but still it made me sound good. I want, it wrote one where I um, was an accomplished actor. Yeah. And I thought, okay. And then I read on, I've appeared in things like Corner Gas, a, a number of you know high-end uh, television shows, which I haven't. And then I, did, I ran it again. And then I was a, a musician out of Toronto and I've performed with like Lady Gaga before. And then it, you know, mentioned some albums that I had done. So I don't know where it got that information, but it was well-written. It was well-written. I wrote one on Denmark, you know, Denmark in the 60s. And it gave me a whole blog post on that. And it was accurate and it was good. The, the other thing people have realized that you can do is you can actually have it write code for you. So if you're a programmer and you want to have it do something, you can actually uh, just tell it what you want and it'll write code for you. I saw on Twitter, someone wanted a sorting script for Excel spreadsheet. Would have taken him an hour to do manually. He did it in five seconds using this tool. For Excel. Yeah. And you can also take, say, say you're an aspiring programmer, you're learning, you can give it your code and it'll find all the mistakes and correct it for you. Like what kind of code? Any kind of code. What? Any programming language. And it'll fix it? Yeah. Or write it from scratch. And it'll it'll document the code to tell you what it's doing. Can it do websites? <laughs> I haven't tried that, but uh-huh. I'm not surprised. John, I'm blown away at just the quality of it. Yeah, I mean... It's, like how, how are schools going to police this? It's going to be next to impossible because of the fact that this is... I mean, it's good enough to at least be considered a template. You're going to have like, to... It'll sub- do 80% of the work for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can just fill in any extra meaty bits that you need. Or correct anything that's yeah. just a little weird, like your your acting achievements. I, I'm so jealous of the kids today. Like, they have all these crazy tools. I had to do it the old-fashioned way. I had to get a book. <laughs> I had to read the book. I had to cite the book if I was using that in anything I was... Yeah. And to get the book, I had to go somewhere... The library. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? These, these in the snow and bare feet uh, uphill. I might as well have been. It was cold. <laughs> you know, it rains a lot here in Vancouver. I'd have to ride my bike to the library. Yeah. To get these books. Yeah. And now, then you still have to write it. Yeah. Now I'm like, hey, give me a, a report on the planet Jupiter, and it will do it in seconds. In seconds. And it's completely free. What people are saying is that this is going to replace Google. Yeah. This is going to basically become this conversational thing, not unlike Star Trek, you know, how they just talk to the computer and it gives them exactly what they want conversationally. We've been talking about chat GPT. You got to check it out. An amazing new AI tool. When we come back, a little more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Don't forget to listen to our sister program. It's called The App Show. It's on every Sunday on the Chorus Radio Network here on your favorite stations. If you're in Toronto, it's right after this program, Saturday nights. On 
the show coming up on the app show, we're going to be uh, talking about Water Llama, a really cool app that keeps you hydrated. And also the new Lenza app. You might be seeing uh, some of your friends posting these amazing selfies of themselves that have been computer generated. Well, that's the app. And we're going to tell you how to use it, how much it costs, and uh, a whole lot more. I want to thank all the folks that helped put the show together, including John and Robin. We'll see you again next time.